Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. My guests this week are Julie Metty Bennett and Rachel Kuntz, the CEO and President of Public Sector Consultants. At this Michigan-based public policy firm, co-owners Julie and Rachel lead a team fueled by their passion for a world that transcends partisanship and is shaped by rigorous research and thoughtful discourse. Julie has been with the firm for more than 20 years, where her passion for well-conceived public policy started with her love of nature. She's spent decades looking closely at the intersection between our natural resources and quality of life. And today, Julie is a leading policy expert focusing on pointing political stakeholders to where good, people-focused solutions are easier to find and adopt. Rachel merged her consultancy with PSC four years ago, bringing her entrepreneurial spirit and business management experience along with her policy expertise to the firm. Today, Rachel oversees the firm's internal operations and provides strategic counsel and facilitation assistance to colleagues and clients to advance equitable public policy solutions. Together, Julie and Rachel shape the firm's strategy, set policy, make corporate financial and business decisions. And today they're here to talk to us about what it's like running a woman-owned small business, their personal leadership journeys, and how to make co-leadership work. So Rachel and Julie, welcome to People First. Thanks for having us. Oh my God, that's such an exciting introduction. Already I've got ideas of, I, I want to learn more. But I'm going to go back. I saw each episode with the origin story. The what did you want to be when you grew up? So Rachel, why don't you start us up? If you go flashback to elementary school and teachers asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was front of mind for you when you were still a little girl? You know, it's funny, you asked that question, and I had to go back and ask my mom what I used to say because I couldn't remember um, exactly. But I mean, it, it's, I definitely wanted to do something in the medical field, um, something that involved science and helping people in some way, shape, or form. And that's what I went to, that's what my undergrad background was in. And, and so obviously, I'm not in the medical field. Um, but certainly working in public policy provides an opportunity to help people in a multitude of ways. So I got there in terms of the ultimate goal, but just not, not through a straight line like some people's career paths may take. I don't think I've come across anybody who's got a straight line career path yet, so I'll be curious to know what the pivot point was that brought you into public policy. But, Julie, what about you? What, was you, what were your dreams and aspirations when you were still at elementary school? Well, I remember my mom would put me in front of people and say, Julie, tell them what you want to be when you grow up. And I would say, I want to be a teeny bopper. And they thought that was so funny. And <laughs> what I was talking about, have you ever been to a, um, an A&W drive-in where the, there were always girl, you know, waitresses on roller skates that would deliver your food to your car. And then you would eat in your car from the window. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. That's all I ever wanted to be. <laughs> delivering food to people eating in their cars on roller skates isn't it funny what <laughs> our attention because that's just triggered a memory for me and I can remember going into the grocery store so I'm dating myself now and there was a person with the little sticky gun that would go and put price labels on on tins and things I thought that was so cool and it was all about speed and accuracy well maybe less on accuracy of course 
cancel barcodes now. Well, I, guess more eggs, so I guess I'll live your dream. <laughs> but to your point, Rachel, it's funny, isn't it, how our paths wind and wind along the way. And sometimes it's just being in the right place at the right time, but it's also having the courage to seize the opportunities. So what was the pivot point, Julie, that brought you into public policy and to PSC? Well, I had to think a lot about this um, as I've been talking more in front of groups and thinking more about my leadership journey and who I am and how I got here. Um, I, I had to do a lot of reflection. And what I've discovered is that it really was my upbringing. My mom um, was diagnosed with cancer when I was five and battled for her life pretty much every day of my whole growing up. Meanwhile, my dad was the primary breadwinner and, you know, worked in a job that he hated, but needed to do it to take care of his family. And so he was, you know, grumpy a lot and my mom was sick a lot. And so I was in this position of wanting to make sure everybody was fine, you know, like trying to protect my mom, trying to keep my dad happy, trying to anticipate any issues that would come up. What could I do to just have smooth sailing in the household? And I think that is why now the role that I play in public policy in Michigan and, and in other places is that is that bridge builder, that common ground finder, um, working in, in a nonpartisan, very fact-based way allows people that are on different sides of the political spectrum to come together to find solutions. And I, when I, my first job was in advocacy where I was fighting for the environment and I was on one side of that issue and I was so uncomfortable. And, you know, I was always wanting to argue other sides, you know, we should pass this bill to, to put a tax on carbon. But then I would argue the other side, like, well, these folks are just playing by the rules of the game and they're just trying to provide jobs. And, you know, I'm fighting it from all sides and realizing, well, that's because I like the middle. So as you look back 20 years in public policy and influence, what are some of the highlights that come to mind for you? Um, I love engaging with leaders from all different perspectives that are making a difference for the industries and the people that they represent. And I'm in awe of of these leaders and 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 how they bring these organizations forward, but then helping them all see eye to eye and find common agreement to make the state as a whole better because everybody's after their silo and their piece of the pie. But when we get engaged, we facilitate them in a way where they can maybe not get everything they want, but get a lot of what they want. And in the end, have really good policy outcomes and make the quality of life for Michiganders better. It's just... I couldn't be I couldn't be happier than doing what I do. I think it's I, mean, I, love, I love that energy <laughs> that radiates from both of you and everybody at the firm, actually, when they talk about the influence and the impact that they're having in the state of Michigan. So, Rachel, you shared at the beginning that your your original passion was going to be in the medical field. So what was the pivot point for you then that took you from that career in medicine and supporting people to running your own business in <laughs> public policy? The show is not long enough to go through the whole meandering path, but, um, you know, I, I, I spent some time volunteering in the medical field directly and, and learned what it really was. I think that so, especially for our generation and older generations, you didn't really get a lot of opportunity to experience what careers 
looked like fully. You had this idea of what they looked like. And I have the utmost respect for those that work in the medical field, but I, I identified while I was still an undergrad that it wasn't, wasn't for mm -hmm. me. Um, and left, um, when I left college, just needed a job and got a job in, in, in a business sector and found that, um, you know, like Julie, my upbringing had a big influence on me and found that, wow, you know, all the time that I, I watched my own mother in sales and customer service and, and contributed to, um, to her, her small business in small ways from, you know, being sent to the post office to buy a book of stamps when I was seven, mm -hmm. those types of things that were, um, I, I was raised with a very, if it's going to be, it's up to me kind of, um, approach. And so I think I didn't, I wasn't afraid of venturing into something that was uncharted waters. And from there, just like you said, at the front end, you know, different, seized different opportunities along the way, had wonderful mentors and leaders, um, that believed in me and gave me opportunities and of course created my own opportunities as well. And, um, found myself eventually down a path of having uh, a hundred mile commute one way with two small children and said, I got to make a change here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and so went off on my own and started, started my own shingle um, consultancy with a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Um, and I have no idea what I was thinking at the time, but it worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but as you, you will appreciate it coming from a corporate environment, notwithstanding seeing the, the hard effort that your parents will have put into their careers and your mom's business what was most surprising for you as you made that transition from being an employee to now being the employer and starting your own company? Yeah, I think that there's a, there's a misperception of um, when you're on your own, you make all the rules. And especially if you have clients, that's, that's not mm -hmm. true. Certainly there's certain things that um, give you a little more flexibility, but on the other hand, um, you know, starting your own business, your HR, your marketing, your, your all of it. Um, yeah. you, you own all of the decisions, whether they're good or bad. Um, and there's a lot of bad ones when you first start a, a business. So I think that was a, a big learning. And then not, uh, I don't think I expected the lack of sort of having a boss and mentors in my life, um, to be as significant. Um, you know, I haven't had a boss since I was 28 years old, so that's a long time. And so finding people, uh, along the way that, that could serve that role, um, wasn't something I really intentionally did. It just sort of happened. And I, I think looking back, if I had been more intentional, maybe some of those mistakes would have been lessened, um, especially in, in the first decade of, of business ownership. I think that's one of the mistakes I know I made early on is, and that had to shift quite quickly, that even as a solopreneur, mm -hmm. recognizing that this is still a team sport and that relationships are important and those mentors that can help guide us and avoid making the same mistakes, et cetera. So what role have relationships, professional relationships and mentors played in your career, Rachel? Um, I think they've been huge. I mean, you know, I have a business partner because of those professional relationships. I mean, that was one of the things early on that, um, you know, just building relationships with other women leaders was really important. And, and so Julie and I got to know each other more than a decade ago through um, shared relationships, through, you know, a group of women that got together. We called it Girl Power Happy Hour um, and spent, spent a lot of time together. But even just having... Um, you know, for me, I had a lot of clients that I also saw in, in a way as mentors, people that, um, 
that I contributed to their success, but they also contributed to mine. I learned a lot from a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. I'm relationships to me are the, like, I wouldn't want to do any kind of work without uh, being able to build relationships with people. And that's the part that I love the most about our work is being able to get to know people, how people work, um, and just really connecting with people. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things among many that Julie and I really share is we love that, um, that kind of getting under the hood and, and connecting with people and getting, getting to build those relationships. So, Judy, I mean, that's one of the things that stood out for my team and I as we've got to know PSC is the culture and the values and the sense of team within the organization. It's palpable. I mean, it's a family. It's fun. It's engaging, but with very high standards. Talk to us a little bit about how do you create and nurture a culture like that, but also how do you maintain one in an environment like 2020 where you're not coming together everybody at once to the office anymore you've now got 70 individual offices satellite offices with people working from home yeah it's um it's tough it's tough um because you know as rachel was talking about why one of the many reasons i love the work is because i love relationships and it's really hard to build those and maintain those um in this virtual environment and um to your first point about how to create that culture, um, I think it's because PSC, while we're um, a for-profit consulting firm, we're a mission-driven organization, and our mission is about improving people's quality of life um, within the state of Michigan and elsewhere, and that's through systems change, and that's what public policy is all about, is systems change. And so... We practice what we preach, you know, that that's our mission on the outside, but it's also our mission on the inside. And so we empower people to pursue um, their passions to be able to help others. And we all have that in common. We, this isn't just a job. It's a, it's a lifestyle (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, to, to want to work on public policy to make people's lives better. And so we let people work on what spins them up as long as it's, it fits our values um, and it, it's it's on brand, you know, that it's nonpartisan, it's fact-based um, and you have a paying client most of the times, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you let things slide, but you know, we do, we do need paying clients. And so people are able to, to work on what they're passionate about and we support them through professional development. Um, we have a large focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, we, we basically just, uh, walk the talk and, and our employees see that and, and it makes them really love working there and love each other. And, um, it's a really special place as you noticed. So, and I'm glad you did. It's definitely a special space. And that makes it even more exciting to me when I look back and think about the decision that the both of you made, uh, or as part of that decision-making to bring the two firms together, because it doesn't matter how big the organization, I mean, the research shows that mergers and acquisitions, have a pretty low success rate, but yours is a success story. So for both of you, yeah, like, go. Oh. <laughs> what do you think made the difference? How were you able to integrate both teams so successfully? I think it was a long dating period. I mean, as, <laughs> as Rachel pointed out, we've known each other a really long time. And I've been with the company a long time, and I just knew that she was the right, it it wasn't, um, obviously there were challenges with the merger, no doubt, but, but culturally, 
and focus wise, values wise, I just knew she would fit in with the family, you know? And so it wasn't that, um, it, it, in terms of culture, it wasn't that hard. And I, and I knew that cause I knew, I knew PSC and I knew her. So, and, and her team. So Rachel, what about from your perspective, A, was it really all plain sailing? And what were some of the surprises when you got to look behind the magic curtain that you've obviously worked through, but what caught you by surprise as you then stepped through the folds and started to get married? If we're going to move from dating to getting married. <laughs> well, I'm not telling you everything. <laughs> Nobody tells everything about their marriage. Um, so I, I think one of the things that's that caught me quickly was, you know, I had started a, a business that I owned for 12 years and how much of my own personal identity was wrapped up in that. And so that was quite a transition. I mean, it was, it was a namesake business. It was, um, down the street from my kids elementary school, from my home, you know, I had this tight, small team. And so this process of letting that go and, um, and moving into something that I was now, uh, you know, still a, a shareholder and owner of the firm, but one of one among others, because at the time, Julie and I had other partners as well, who we've since bought out to be a, a fully woman owned business. But it was quite that was quite a transition. And then I think, um, you know, just the, the process of working through that kind of emotionally and mentally was big um, for me. And then also just like I said, we had a, we had other partners as well. And you know, we all had, um, we had a lot in common, like Julie said, in terms of our values and our focus and our commitment to, to good public policy. But, you know, everyone's different. Everyone has different personalities. And, and so kind of combining, combining all of that together was a, was a process um, that I didn't anticipate, you know, that, mm -hmm. that what that would look like. You can't really fully. Um, but I think we were successful because the end game was about Julie and I being partners and carrying the firm forward and had we not had that vision had we not had that relationship and really this commitment that we have to each other to always be authentic and vulnerable with each other um we've always had that and so being able to just tell it like it is and you know in a loving way <laughs> but we're, we're honest with each other um yeah. we think that sometimes you know maybe that that's not always the case and then that that can leave um leave some things lacking when it comes to trying to bring two businesses together what was the most challenging for you to let go of in terms of the old definition of Rachel and success compared to the co-leader and current definition of success? Uh, being in charge. <laughs> yeah, I was used to being in charge. It was ego. I was always in charge, which yeah. isn't great, really. It's certainly <laughs> not great personally, but um, it's also, you know, multiple heads are better. Um, getting other people's perspectives makes helps you make better decisions, helps you be a better person, a better leader. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, just speaking honestly, that was something that I didn't even know was a thing until until those shared that shared leadership. And it's not just Julie and I. We have a fantastic leadership team that contributes to our strategic direction and our thinking. And so, um, that wasn't something that I had. I had a much smaller company than PSC, and and was used to sort of getting input but then it yeah. was to me <laughs> so yeah and I like what you say it's letting go of the ego and I know as I've grown sky team it used to be the Morag's way and it turns out Morag's way isn't the only way 
though it should be. Right? The best way I've learned to my cars and my team just together, to your point, we are better together. But it can be hard because, to your point, we've got a foundation of trust, the friendship, etc. It allows you to show up authentically as how you described it. It doesn't always mean, though, that we can hear authentically the feedback and the conversation or the questions for others. So as you think about the adjustment now, as you've both stepped up to be the co-owners, the principals of PSC, what have been some of the challenges or um, opportunities where you've had to redefine co-leadership to make it work for both of you? So Rachel, what are, how has it impacted the relationship, but also what are those areas that you've had to focus on to make it successful? That's a good question. I mean, I think, I think for both of us, you know, kind of really identifying the stuff that, that excites us. Um, you know, there's sort of the, the what the world says you should be doing and leading, and there's the what actually practically and personally makes sense. And so the process of us, and it, you know, we've been sole co-owners for a year now, actually is a year right now um, this month. <laughs> yeah this month so um i think the process of like kind of being open to saying like you know i don't need to do that like she's better at that or he's better at that if it's you know somebody on our team and or it's more efficient or it just makes sense um and being able to really own the things where i can be the most effective and then being able to speak that truth to julie and being able to say like you know you you're good in this space, you know, own that, live that, do that. And I think we've, that's one of the areas that we've really grown together is being able to identify the areas that not only spin us up, but where we can shine and then lifting each other up. Um, we talk a lot about how as women, that doesn't always happen, you know, in the world, women tend to, you know, they can be very competitive and very um, hard on each other. And that's just not how we roll. Mm-hmm. What about for you then, Julie, as you've stepped in, into and embraced this co-leadership role, what has been the most surprising for you? Um, it requires a lot of self-reflection, which I don't like to do. <laughs> I don't like meditating. I don't like yoga. I don't like, you know, all that stuff. I just like to get stuff done. And if you, but if you don't spend time reflecting on what you need and what you're good at, and you just keep moving forward like a robot, it'll come out sideways at some point. And I've had a lot, yeah, a lot of sideways. COVID has really um, exacerbated, like with a lot of things, it's it's made existing things worse. Um, things that have always been there, it's put the salt in the wound, and so. I've had to uh, to do a lot of that, and I want to echo, you know, what Rachel was talking about in terms of um, women. A lot of times, feel like there's um, finite room for leaders, and um, and I think there. What I'm, and, and so you have this natural instinct to be competitive and to get, you know, secure your dance space and make sure people know, you know, I've got this and you're there and I'm here and um, there's. There's room for all of us um, to lead and to do well, and certainly for Rachel and I to lead and do well in our, you know, 50-some person public policy firm. So just checking myself when I, and, and 
thank you, Moria, because you've been helpful in this this journey for me. Um, to be really honest about when my feathers are getting ruffled with Rachel and why why that is, and it's usually because of me, <laughs> something with me that I've not explored and that I need to. So that's been the hard part and the best part of the whole thing. And the liberating part, because I think we all have that that power to move from first that it's their fault to, oh, let's just start with me and looking inward as to why are my feathers ruffled? What need is not being met? And how can I better articulate that so that we can move forward together? And to your point, 2020 has been the leadership crucible for many <laughs> of our clients that none of us have asked for. But to your point, has rubbed salt in the wound and cracks and fissures that may have been um, worked around when we were together first face-to-face -face in other organizations, I am seeing us starting to cause um, fissures and, and issues with how they move forward. So again, I'm curious, what are you hoping that the broader we and the more narrow PSC we, what are you hoping that people take away from this experience? The pandemic? Mm -hmm. And this whole work from home, just it, it's caused an opportunity for us to, to reflect and get thrown in at the deep end. Mm -hmm. So if there was one lesson, leadership lesson to take away from this, what would it be for each of you? I mean, the first thing that came to mind for me was adaptability. Um, I think that we've all seen, we, we've all been forced to adapt you know, to this evolving situation in terms of how we manage our teams, how we work with our clients, how we do our work. And I think when we're pushed, we can, you know, which we have been, we can adapt, we can do things differently. And so my hope would be that we don't lose that, that we don't, you know, turn around and go, okay, we, we've got to go back to doing everything the way we used to do it. Um, you know, there's more flexibility that it has brought people in their lives. I mean, granted, you've got people trying to manage their families or, or whatever their mm -hmm. situations are at home that's made it very challenging. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, we've experienced this ability to sort of weave our work life and our personal life together in a way that, while sometimes very challenging, is it's proven that it can be done. Um, and so to the extent that we can hold on to that, um, to that ability to adapt and be flexible, you know, there's some silver lining, I suppose, in that. Mm -hmm. okay. What about for you, Julie? What are you hoping that we can take away from this experience? I think what I try to tell our staff is to be kind to yourself and have, you know, give yourself some grace. And that's something that I also need to um, hear. Sometimes no. that, <laughs> no, I, it's easy to say. It's not easy to um, embrace for yourself, but um, we hire exceptional people that are extremely hardworking. And this, this has just challenged people in, in unthinkable ways from, uh, yeah, I'm getting emotional. It's from like homeschooling. Sorry. Um, people's families have been ill and, um, you know, and, but, but these staff of ours just keep, you know, keep going and they keep going. And, um, it's just important to have some grace for yourself at this time because it's it's hard. It's a hard time that we're all going through. And I love that because what you've just so beautifully articulated and demonstrated 
It's the human and the humane side of business. And that's what's built such a strong team and connection with PSC is that in your own different ways, you care deeply about the people in the organization and the community that in which you're working and you influence. And to when we all have high standards and it can be easy just to continue to raise the bar and beat ourselves up when we aren't able to do everything that we think we should. But the grace to your point is saying, did I do my best? Mm -hmm. And then taking a breath and letting it go. And then we get up the next day and we do our best. And Rachel, you said it. And sometimes we make the wrong decision. Sometimes we make a decision that with hindsight gets tweaked but we're doing our best for ourselves, our family, and our work family too, to move us forward. So as you look at the, the projects and the research that you're doing right now, I don't know to what extent you can comment on it, but what excites you about the next few months and as you look into 2021, what are your hopes and dreams for PSC? Well, I what I'm excited about is that it feels like people are embracing different ways of working and are moving forward. So a lot of the work we do is in support of organizations um, to either create, you know, strategies and plans for the future. And every, a lot of people just put that on pause, including ourselves, you know, we were supposed to have a strategic plan kick off at the beginning of the year. And it just felt like, how can we do that? Um, but now, it just, I, I think people are, are getting on board with this new normal and are, are able to pop their heads up and do some normal things like think about the future, uh, make plans, make progress. And that's been exciting and made me feel really hopeful for the first time in a while. Mm. Rachel, what about you? What excites you as you think into the future and the near term? So PSCs worked uh, forever really in, in helping to support public policies that will lift up those that are historically disadvantaged or historically underrepresented. And that's not new for us, but I think the rest of the world has been awakened. Um, I shouldn't say the rest of the world. A lot of people have been very awakened to that, but um, at least in public policy, there's much more of a recognition when, when we look at issues around diversity, equity, equitable public policies, inclusion. And that's something that is um, a part of our ethos at PSC but we can be doing more and we are doing more. And so really uh, being able to lean in more to ensure that the stuff that we're working on, the policies that we're helping to support are, there's that lens of you know, who does this impact? How are they impacted? How can we ensure that um, groups are represented appropriately and that we're not continuing to perpetuate systemic racism and the way we do work at a policy level? Okay, thank you. So for people listening, if they want to learn more about the work that you're doing, or perhaps explore an opportunity to tap into the expertise of you and your team, how do they find out more? Where do they go? Well, you can go to our website at uh, pscinc.com. Um, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and find out all those good social media handles from our website. Okay, and I'll make sure all of that information is included in the show notes around this video. Rachel and Julie, thank you very much for sharing your journeys today. I look forward to our ongoing conversations and wish you a fabulous week. Thank you, Morag. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. 
Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything, before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.